This podcast is on radicalization and polarization. Two things I want us to consider about radicalization and polarization. One, how can a country be weakened? How can another government weaken us, for example, through influence warfare to deepen existing political polarization and radicalization? Two, from the past 70 years, and especially the past 20 years, of attempts at violent extremist de-radicalization and radicalization prevention, what can we apply to stemming foreign malign influence that attempts to exacerbate existing political tribalism? In short, how can we apply lessons from the global war on terrorism to great power competition in the realm of exacerbating or mending polarization and radicalization. In this course, we've already discussed the power of the phenomena of foundational narratives, sacred values, and transcendent drivers that have outweighed influence over our subconscious, our decisions, our behavior, our worldviews. The phenomenon of foundational narrative will have a powerful and lasting effect not only to the solidarity and strength of a nation to overcome its challenges, but also may have a powerful effect with solidarity of political groups within nations. Now in this podcast, beyond the two questions I presented at the beginning, I will cover three key elements of polarization and political tribalism. This is far from exhaustive and never fully explains any one case of political polarization. Whether we study polarization as a process or as a fixed phenomenon in a given slice of time. The first element is a need for a clear black and white war between good and evil. Our limbic system favors simplicity, us versus them, our football team against our rivals, my political party against yours. This tribal phenomenon may reward foundational narratives that oversimplify the world into good and evil, black and white. In some, certainly not all, in fact, certainly not most, storytelling traditions, whether it be film or literature, favor a clear protagonist and a clear antagonist. In part, this may perhaps influence a collective subconscious to also look for good and bad sides, or good and evil sides, if you will, of issues in life. To some, this idea of black versus white may feel instinctive. According to Dr. Peter Krekko, a political psychologist in Budapest, and I quote, the art of tribal politics is that it shapes reality. Lies become truth and explain everything in simple terms. And political struggle, he adds, becomes a war between good and evil that demands unconditional support for the leaders of the tribe. If you talk against your own camp, you betray it. You get expelled from the tribe. Tribalism, According to Peter, is a natural form of politics. Democracy is a deviation. Second is the concept of essentialism. According to columnist David Brooks, and I quote, the world is complicated and our minds have limited capacity, so we create categories to help us make sense of things. We divide, say, the social world into types, hipster, evangelical, nerd and associate traits or characteristics with each. These judgments involve simplifications and generalizations. 
but we couldn't make sense of the blizzard of sensory data each day if we couldn't put things, situations, and people into some form of conceptual boxes. As our old friend Immanuel Kant argued, perceptions without conceptions are blind. It may become a serious problem when people begin to believe that these mental constructs reflect underlying realities. This is called essentialism. It is the belief that each of the groups we identify with, our labels, actually has an essential and immutable nature rooted in biology or in the nature of reality. In the worst kind of case, it's the belief, for example, or the misbelief, that Christian Germans are innately superior to Jews. The third concept is something we have discussed in this course, but not in detail. The fear of isolation that drives people primordially to join in a shared foundational narrative. Some national community and polarized political party narratives include tribe-like threats of shame if an individual fails to follow rules and norms. According to Benet Brown, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Now, it can drive people towards feelings of isolation. Isolation is more than some minor existential crisis. Isolation and loneliness, for example, when an ex-convict or someone shunned by a church the way that perhaps they feel, are health hazards. Loneliness kills. In tribal times, those isolated fear death without the protection from a clan. According to Olivia Fox, the brain equates social need and survival. Being ostracized activates similar neural responses. According to Brigham Young University, professor of psychology and neuroscience, Julian Hold Lundstadt, we are wired, and I quote, to equate loneliness to danger and to switch the body into a defensive state. Now, there have been multiple repeated studies over the past few decades that suggests that isolation, which takes place when shame drives someone towards feelings of loneliness, is a health risk. This type of anxiety in general may benefit a person in the short term to face a challenge or threat, releasing cortisol and adrenaline to increase oxygen in the brain, spike blood pressure to fuel muscles. But in the long term, isolation-driven stress may be a killer. According to UCLA professor of medicine Steve Cole, in the University of Chicago, professor of psychology and behavioral neuroscience, John Casiepo, in effect, and I quote, the stress reaction requiring, requires mortgaging our long-term health in favor of our short-term survival. Our bodies are programmed to turn misery into death. In historical and evolutionary terms, this, this reaction could be a good thing since it helps immune cells reach infections and encourages wounds to heal but it is no way to live. Inflammation promotes the growth of cancer cells and the development of plaque in the arteries. It leads to the disabling of brain cells, which raises susceptibility to neurodegenerative disease. Many people thus have a visceral drive to live within laws and norms. Dr. Julian holt goes on to explain, being connected to others socially is widely considered a fundamental human need. Crucial to both well-being and survival. Some polarized groups and political parties have tapped in this human desire to remain with a clan or clan-like entity. It can be a powerful approach because shame, when it leads to feelings of isolation, kills. 
we are driven to the group, to the us, even if that group only exists at the extremes. According to Leonard Ledenow, the large a large body of research replicates the findings that our group-based social identity is so strong that we will discriminate against a them in favor of us, even if the rule that distinguishes them from us is akin to flipping a coin. Not only do we identify with a group based on the flimsiest of distinctions, we also look at group members differently, even if group membership is unrelated to any relevant or meaningful personal qualities. To bring this home for us, I want us to consider the following. Think to those times in your life when you were part of a tribe-like or tribe-like entity. Whether it's living in a household or a group of households that share across kinship, that you share across kinship and generations, or what I might consider a tribal blessing of living and working in a unit or agency or command where you truly trust the others, where you would defend them with your life and they would defend you with theirs. Where, if you made a mistake or were struggling, you had people there to support you. You weren't living moment to moment in fear of losing your job, losing your health benefits for a small mistake. Now think to a time when you've worked in a toxic environment. Whether it be an office or a command, you are working in an office where fear of failure brings mediocrity and misery. There's no sense of group or trust you feel on your own. All you focus on all the time is not making a mistake. Not only consider what this does to you mentally and physically. Toxic environments with toxic bosses and toxic coworkers, no matter how much meditation or mental escape or disassociation you attempt, cost a heavy physio physiological toll. But consider also what it does to your relationships, how it affects your family, your loved ones, your friends your ability to focus, your ability to be creative, how it affects also that officer command that you have dedicated yourself to try to be a part of or try to improve or improve the world with. This instinctive yearning to be a part of a trusting and trusted group, whether polarized or not, to be part of some clan-like entity is extremely strong. To be around people that truly trust you and you also truly trust how it allows your limbic system, your lizard brain, if you will, relax, how it can drive people to groups, and in a polarized society, how it can call you or somebody you love to a so-called political tribe, no matter how extreme that political tribe might seem. Thank you.